Election College, Episode 272, James S. Sherman. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we're out of the 1800s. You know, a little over a decade out of the 1800s. Yet, vice presidents, it's just tough. It's tough out there. (laughs) It's a real bad day or decade or, you know century to be a vice president in the United States. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the saga, the saga, I, I don't know what I was going to say. The saga continues. Yeah. The saga continues with James Schoolcraft Sherman. He, uh, is our 27th vice president, AKA the vice president under William Howard Taft. In case you haven't heard about James S. Sherman after this episode, you will have corrected that horrible error and you will be educated and informed so sit back relax and enjoy the education right that's right in case you forgot how to listen to a podcast (laughs) Uh, (laughs) all right so james sherman i'm gonna call him jimmy for now was born in utica new york and uh in the words of dwight Schrute, we're gonna burn utica to the ground uh, I don't know why I had to say that, but just anytime an office reference comes into my mind. Oh, wow. If you're in yeah. Utica right now and you know who James Sherman was and he's very important to you, the rest of the country needs to be informed. That's and right. The Dwight Schrute reference, oh, we're sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, you know. It's anyway. security. <laughs> <laughs> So Sherman is actually, the family claimed that he was of the ninth generation of descendants from Henry Sherman, which that's also connected to Roger Sherman, who signed the Declaration of Independence, to William Tecumseh Sherman, who was a general for the Union during the Civil War. So he comes from a bit of a lineage, and I don't know that he has a chip on his shoulder, but it would be really easy to understand if he had. Uh, He does get an education at seminary, Whitestown Seminary, and then he goes to Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. And um, the guy knew how to not only debate, but speak. He was a good public speaker. He was great at defending positions. And uh, of course, you know, it's only natural that after he graduates, he's going to study law. (laughs) Yeah, of course you are, because you're going to be vice president someday. That's right. And you need that. Uh, he practices with his brother-in-law, Henry Cookingham, and he also uh, serves as president of the Utica Trust and Deposit Company, as well as the new Hartford Canning Company. That becomes a little important later on in the, his story, but he becomes the mayor of Utica at the age of 29. Hey, that sounds like another mayor I know. Ben. Yeah. You were 29 when you got elected, right? That's that's correct. And, oh my goodness, we could be talking to a... I could be talking to a future vice president. I kind of doubt it, but it's possible. I don't a hundred, know. hundred years from now, people are going to be like, Ben Smith. Hey, my buddy. Who the heck was that me, guy? Yeah. 
My buddy told me uh, I should look up the Wikipedia page called uh, like Youngest Mayors in America or something like that. He added me to it. I'm nice. on Wikipedia now. Yeah, You are famous and on Wikipedia. That's right. <laughs> so there you go, guys. If you're scrolling around one of the most obsolete pages on Wikipedia, you'll find me. Man, how many Wikipedia topics do you know personally? And now I know one. Yeah. So, in 1886, Sherman, or Jimmy, gets elected as U.S. representative from the 23rd Congressional District, and he's a Republican, and he is there for a long time. Uh, he serves for four years. He takes a break for a couple years, and then he goes back for 16 more years, so a 22-year span. But this is a pretty challenging time for certain things in the Repub Republican Party, and you know they're all divided, and... It's kind of a mess. Well, Sherman decides he's going to side up with William McKinley and the rest of the conservatives and defend the gold standard. Because remember, this is a huge issue at this point in time. We're talking about free silver versus gold standard, etc. He says, I will not stand for anything but the gold standard. Yeah. And so he's quintessentially the guy who is influential for the conservative Republicans in the House of Representatives. Like Ben said, over 20 years in the House, right? And there he is. He's doing his thing. He serves as a chairman of the Committee on Indian Affairs uh, for, well, from 1895 until 1909. There's actually a school, uh, a Native American school, that's named after him. That's probably the latest claim to fame other than this podcast episode to James Sherman. <laughs> anyway, he never holds a party leadership position. He's known by Henry Cabot Lodge as the guy who serves as chairman as quote, the committee of the whole, which is kind of like saying you don't have an official leadership position, but we know you're a man of integrity and we respect you. So in 1908, Sherman gets nominated as a Republican candidate for vice president. And, of course, this is the ticket with William Howard Taft as well. And, you know, he's not really somebody that anybody would have picked out of a crowd, I guess is a good way to say it. He's kind of on the back burner. Uh, he's kind of in the background, I guess I should have said, not back burner. And people recognize, though, that he has a pretty solid level head. Uh, he really balances out all the things that Taft does and says. Uh, he's also an Easterner, and uh, that's important because Taft is a Westerner. And, you know, he's conservative. So when people look at Taft as being a little less conservative, they look at Sherman is being more conservative, and it works out together. And the Republicans, they don't have a hard time winning this at all. They win by a pretty comfortable margin. We talked about that back in the Taft episodes. And they get in office, and they're like, hey, we hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, you know, Nellie's there, and she reaches out to – I'm, I'm going to use the nickname too, Ben. Yeah. Reaches out to Jimmy and his wife, Carrie. And what ends up happening is – Taft starts to become more conservative. It's almost like the opposite of what you would think would happen. You know, it's not like a, I start walking your way and you start walking mine. I haven't quoted uh, country lyrics in a long time. I'm so happy about that too. Oh, well there, I just did. I know. Uh, they didn't meet in the middle. Um, neath a 
old Georgia Pine or anything like that. No, uh, Taft becomes more conservative and infuriates Roosevelt, who comes back and messes everything up for Taft and himself in 1912. But that's beside the point. Everybody is enjoying each other. It's like the the bromance thing going on, you know, with the presidents and their VPs in these last several years. Mm-hmm. The president's like, you know what, Jimmy, he is uh, so accomplished. He's charming. And the way he talks, it's like he's really friendly. They called him Sunshine in the House of Representatives. You know, they they really thought he was at a really nice disposition. And it won Taft over. It did not, on the other hand, win over Theodore Roosevelt, which Jason just mentioned. Uh, you know, he comes around in 1910, starts making some ripples with Taft. Of course, Sherman gets involved in that, too. And Theodore Roosevelt goes, hey, I'm starting my own party. It's the Bull Moose Party, which is a all everything else aside is like a really cool name for a political party, the Bull Moose Party. I mean, that's just, yeah. Sorry. And basically when he does this, he's still popular in the eyes of many Republicans, but it really just splits the ticket. And it's not the ticket even, it splits people's loyalties on where they want to go. And nineteen twelve comes up, and of course this is the election we're talking about. The New Yorkers come through for Sherman and they renominate him, which is really an unprecedented thing at this time. It didn't used to be that if you were in office, you know, now it's like if you're in office and you want to run again, you're going to get nominated. That's just the way things work. And then back in the day, uh, it had been almost a hundred years, a little shy of a hundred years since someone had been renominated for vice president. Now, part of that's because they kept dying, but that's beside the point. John C. Calhoun was the last one back in 1828. So they renominate him and he says, Hey, um, I am getting sick. Yeah, but he's like, but I'm going to be fine. And right. hey, doctor, uh, you don't know what it's like to be so driven by um, political ambitions as I do, and you're wrong. Uh, he's diagnosed with Bright's disease. That's what we're talking about in 1904. Man, Ben, I was doing some reading on Bright's disease. It sounds painful. It is not fun sounding at all. Um, but yeah, he's he's got this and his... Health is deteriorating. His doctor's like, dude, you just need to not run again. And Sherman's like, I'm going to. You ain't seen nothing yet. And, well, six days after his 57th birthday and less than a week before the election, he dies. Man, why do I have to give that news? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I feel like it was kind of coming. Like people probably could have predicted it was coming at some point. Yeah, if you would have had 24-hour news channels back in the day, they would have, I don't know. Roosevelt probably would have won. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm predicting something wrong. But uh, what ends up happening is you got a little bit of a crisis because what does Taft do? He can't really nominate another guy like a week before the election. So, essentially, you do have a dead man on the ticket. But officially, what happens is Nicholas Murray Butler was designated to receive the electoral votes that Sherman would have received. So, there are procedures in place if that does happen. I think, have we done an episode on that? Because Horace Greeley passed away. 
we have we've done episodes on all the people who passed away i think but we never did one on the actual like procedures and stuff like that yeah so maybe we'll do an episode on that someday but what you need to know is the republicans selected nicholas murray butler to receive sherman's electoral votes so it wouldn't have been a constitutional crisis or anything like that but it didn't matter because Taft and then Butler come in third place in the election. They only get eight electoral votes, and Woodrow Wilson wins the can wins the election. Uh, thanks a lot, Theodore Roosevelt. You used to be a, a nice guy, then you went off and shot a ton of animals and screwed up other people's elections. But you know, now we're going to get to talk about Woodrow Wilson here in the future. Uh, the vice presidency didn't get filled during the time um, between when. He passes away and when uh, Marshall comes into office in March of the next year. So there you have it. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So if you're alive in the first decade and a half of the 1900s, James Sherman, you would have known about him. You would have said, hey, this guy carries a lot of influence. And then everybody forgets about him. It's kind of sad, really. I mean, I know we've said this a thousand times on this show, but it's really... There are some people who did so much. And I mean, we're just talking about political figures. If you think about like Farmer Joe down the road who turned his community around just by making sure that they didn't go hungry, like those kind of people too. It's just crazy how people just, you know, we just get, we forget about people that doesn't get documented and recorded. Yeah. At least we're talking about them here on a podcast. That's right. A hundred years after the fact, but you know, go out there, be the change that the world needs to your community and you know it does it does matter if you leave us a review and we are still doing this podcast in 100 years we'll talk about you too uh even if you don't leave us a review if we were doing this podcast in 100 years we'd talk about you i promise but since we're probably not going to be alive in 100 years and you haven't left this review yet you should do that at electioncollege.com slash review it's over on itunes you can also give us a little star and recommend us on overcast and we would really appreciate if you did both of those things even. Yeah, and when you subscribe, little angels dance. And I'm sure a Sherman somewhere celebrates. Do you think angels dance? Um, like legit angels. I don't know. I think they probably do. Probably. But I don't yeah. see how they could. It's angels. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We are also on uh, all the social media channels. Find us at Election College and say, hey, we love interacting with you, and we would really appreciate it if you interacted with us as well. Yeah, we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.